0: Bet365 sponsors this podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sport. Did you know you can create personalized bets with Bet365? Their Bet Builder lets you calculate the odds for any game right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, we ask that you please gamble responsibly. (laughs) Hello, yes, welcome to episode two of the Going Up, Going Down podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is a fast-paced, feature-driven, EFL-focused pod containing news, views and Preston left back Andrew Hughes. Opposite me today is the Nicky Cowley to my Danny Cowley. George Ellick, hello. I'll
1: take that because I think Nicky's the better looking one. So,
0: <laughs> Okay, well, I'll be the manager then. And, and today, look, it's the best three games of the weekend previewed. One from each of the EFL's divisions. George Ellick's hot take sparks debate. We take a look at the big news from midweek. Focus on the concerning situation at Macclesfield. Take the temperature of of Pompey fans, and finish with my first go at storytelling with EFL Rewind.
1: Yeah, all of our pods are completely free and ad-free versions are available to subscribers. Uh, You can sign up to The Athletic. You should stop now doing whatever you're doing. If you haven't signed up to The Athletic, do it right now using the promo code EFLpod. That will get you a 40% discount. We've written a couple of pieces on there. We plan to do so again in the future. And it will probably help just follow the stuff we're going to talk about for these pods going forward. I mean,
0: I'm not sure we're the main sales pitch for the written content on site, but (laughs) look, it's a nice extra. It's a bonus.
1: So first up, we have the games of the weekend where Ali or I will run through what we think are the most important fixtures coming up and starting in the championship it's Charlton against Barnsley. Oh, it's, so it's not always going to be the top teams, is it, George? Well, absolutely not. And no. this is a massive game in terms of the Championship relegation battle. Funny to think back to the 20, sorry, the 19th of October earlier this year when Charlton were in a lofty 10th place on uh, on 18 points. Barnsley, on the other hand, were in 23rd with six points from 11 games. You fast forward a couple of months and it's all changed. Charlton have won just one game in their last 18 and they have dropped like a stone down to 21st with 30 points. They are four points clear of Wigan in 22nd and six points clear of Barnsley who have picked up under the manager Gerhard Struber and are now on 24 points. So I think you can see where I'm going with this one. If there's ever been a relegation six-pointer, this is the one. It's it's been slightly
0: sort of... uh... Exaggerated certainly when we've been discussing the championship relegation battle, in the sense that the teams between them are Huddersfield and Stoke, who I think we both kind of more or less think are moving away from the relegation zone rather than towards it. Whereas Charlton, as you mentioned, on that terrible run, very much dropping down, it it feels like, and this might be too simplistic, for Barnsley to get it out of the relegation zone, it's most likely going to be Charlton they have to get above, which makes this game really, really spicy.
1: Yeah, I, I think if, if Barnsley lose this game, they are suddenly nine points behind Charlton, and then they would have to pick up... You know, their form would have to change dramatically to give them any chance of staying up. Or Stoke or Huddersfield, the two teams you mentioned, would have to really, really drop away. Especially given that Wigan and Luton both won their last two games as well, which has caused absolute carnage in that relegation area. And it's a difficult time for Charlton. The new owners have come in. They, they've tried to to kind of commit to Lee Bowyer the popular manager who of course has had a difficult time under Roland de Châtelet uh, the previous owner but has done such a good job there taking them up but in the transfer market hasn't necessarily been all good either their talisman and, and kind of top goal scorer last season and best player Lyle Taylor being linked to a host of championship teams hasn't featured much recently or scored much recently with Brentford being apparently the most likely to take him Alfie Doughty a young product of their youth system has been linked to a move away again today. Johnson-Clark-Harris is a player they've been linked to bringing in. Uh, Bristol Rovers is star marksman. Um, but it would be hard to see how necessarily he could come in immediately and replace Taylor. And this is a massive, massive game for them. There's no denying they have to win this one coming up against a Barnsley side, who, as I mentioned, brought in Gerhard Struber uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and immediately improved. They have lost three games in a row. They lost to Bristol City, they lost to Preston and they lost to Portsmouth in the Cup. They've conceded seven goals in their last three games, uh, one at home, and one against the League One side. They have a very young team. The The recruitment in the summer was maybe a little bit naive, bringing in very, very young players uh, across the park. And they brought in Michael Sulbauer, uh, who is 29 years old, a, a midfielder who they brought in. In Barzy paid.
0: terms, that's like 35. Exactly.
1: And you think that they have... That they've understood that maybe they have to sometimes part from the model, the play- training model that they implement in order to get some some steel in that in, in those ranks. This is a huge game for both. And I think that even despite the, the drop-off of results recently, Barnsley's performance levels generally, generally over the last six weeks or so have been much, much higher than Charlton's. Charlton are, ho- are, however, difficult to beat at the Valley. And I think this is a game where for both of them, it's so crucial they don't lose it. Because, you know, that gap with six points can become three. It can become nine. I reckon this is going to be a draw. I have a feeling whoever scores first here is probably going to sit on that uh, and, and try and ensure they don't lose that lead rather than going for anything more. But Charlton, in their last four games in the Championship, have drawn two all at home to Hull, beaten Bristol City 3-2, drawn two, two all at home to West Brom and drawn nil nil against Fulham. Those are four teams in the top half of the table, three teams going for promotion. So this should be an easier test. I'm saying one all.
0: We're at that stage where managers are using the phrase every game's a cup final which is just so ridiculous I hate it there's still 17 league games to go they're not all cup finals and yet if any game fits the bill this one in the championship this weekend Charlton Barnsley is probably the one I'm going to league one and I'm going to fifth placed Sunderland who are traveling to Portsmouth who are seventh again Big game
1: become a bit of a grudge match this as well, given you know the amount of times they played last season.
0: Last season they played five times uh, as League One teams. Sunderland took the spoils one nil on aggregate over two playoff games, two tense, tense, tight playoff games. Portsmouth obviously won the EFL Trophy final on penalties uh, and a Portsmouth home win in the league was followed by a draw at the Stadium of Light. So not much separated them last season. They both missed out on promotion, which was hugely disappointing for both sets of fans. And there's only one point between them now, with Pompey having played one game less. And they are just very well matched when I'm when I'm trying to think about how this game plays out. I mean, there's so many similarities. They both had slow starts to the season but they're both looking pretty ominous now for the teams above them. Sunderland unbeaten in 9 19 points in that time. Pompey 16 points in their last 8. So both of them around that 2 point per game mark which normally translates to, you know, automatic promotion over the course of a season. I think in terms of style they're going to cancel each other out to to an extent as well. They're neither of them are, are particularly ambitious attacking teams or particularly Uh, impressive in terms of consistent chance creation. Neither of them actually have particularly prolific goal scorers in their team. Either the biggest goal threat on the pitch likely to be Pompey winger Ronan Curtis playing off the left wing who has 11 league goals. So he could be a key man. As well, if you look at home and away records, Pompey at home, exceptional this season. Eight wins, five draws, no defeats. They've beaten all the current top three at home. And Sunderland away with the fourth best record in the league. So, you know, pretty much even Steven across almost everything that I can think of, except that Sunderland played on Wednesday night. Not only that, they were at Tranmere on that boggy, muddy pitch. It was a hard-fought 1-0 win, pretty ugly game in all fairness but they did get the win I just think with the traveling to Portsmouth on the weekend their legs might be a bit heavier and I'm predicting a narrow Pompey home win but no love lost between these two teams so I wouldn't be surprised if it gets pretty lively which I'm quite excited about
1: do you think these two teams at the moment have claimed to be the best teams in league one at the moment as it stands
0: I'm glad you asked me that because my, my current hot take, and it's not my turn for hot take debate, <laughs> but my hot take at the moment is there's no best team in League One. Wow. I've, I've just decided that there's, you, can bu- you can pretty much group six or seven, maybe even eight teams, uh, all about sort of eight, eight and a half out of ten. Uh, I don't think there's anyone at the moment that's above that. So it's interesting to see how it will shake up and shake out in May, and shake up and shake out, yeah. the shake up,
1: shake out, Derby. Exactly. Uh, and
0: uh, what about you for, for League Two? I'm hoping you might give us something from there.
1: Yeah, heading to the to the southwest for a top of the table clash between Swindon Town and Exeter City. This is sec- uh, second travelling to first in the league, but they both come here on the back of defeats in midweek, which is surprising given that neither lose many games. Uh, that leaves Swindon four points clear of Crew in third, and Exeter just two points behind them. As well, we spoke for regular listeners of the Going Up, Going Down podcast uh, of, of episode one. I should say you'll know all about what happened uh, with Swindon and their strikers Jerry Yates and Owen Doyle. So important to point out here that maybe we were a bit too quick to uh, to laugh at, at Swindon's um, poor fortune because Jerry Yates has returned on loan, and Owen Doyle was left out of Bradford's side on Tuesday night around rumours that he will be returning to the club as well. So we know that Yates will be will likely be playing here. It's possible, as we speak on you know Thursday afternoon, that Doyle could also be in the lineup. And you'd think that any um, hangover from the 3-1 defeat against Colchester United uh, will be long uh, dispelled if they have their two talisman back in the side. Uh, and it, they lacked both of their cutting edge uh, against Colchester United in what was a fairly level game. I think the shot count was about 13 Um but just having that natural goal scorer up top was lacking, and that's why they ended up losing that game. X to quite an awkward opponent, though. Definitely, and. I think the important thing to point out here is, is just what a good job Matt Taylor's doing. Uh, for people who don't know much about Exeter and, and what's happened over the last 18 months. Yeah, it's, t-
0: it's not former Premier League left foot legend Matt
1: Taylor, it's sadly. It's, uh, it's former lumpit long Exeter centre-back Matt Taylor. Um, but Paul Tisdale was as close as we've kind of come to a an Arsene Wenger or Sir Alex Ferguson in the EFL. He was manager... Of of Exeter, spanning a, a, you know a couple of decades, he took them out of non-league and took them up to the lofty heights of League One, which is, you know, far eclipsing where they should be as a football club. And we've seen, you know, I know it's a, a funny comparison, but we've seen how difficult it is both at Manchester United and at Arsenal to take over from a manager who has such control over a club and you know embodies everything that they're about. And Matt Taylor has made that transition seamless. Uh, last season, they were very comfortable in the top half of the table, and. Now they are second in the league and nobody expected this rookie manager to do so well. He's helped by a team which, again, is performing above expectations. Randall Williams is the star. He's a 23-year-old winger who already has 10 assists and three goals. Nicky Law might have something to say about that. And Nicky Law is, I was going to say, he's the star and Law is the talisman. He is, he is the seven goals and seven assist man from midfield. So many of his goals so crucial to, to important wins. And then Ryan Bowman has stepped in as well. Jaden Stockley left the club after amazing goal scoring antics uh, for Preston North End this time last year. And Bowman is the, currently the club's top goal scorer with, with 10. And with coaches like this, when you look at a squad and you can't quite work out how this collection of players is doing so well, then you have to credit the coach, and, and that's why Matt Taylor must be one of the you know rising stars of the EFL. An interesting side note to this game: in the last 13 matches in all competitions between the two, dating, dating back to 2009, Swindon have won just one, and that was I in see. the that was in the old Johnson's Paint Pot as well. So, mm. Exeter have a great record in in this in this fixture. They've won three of the last four in the league. I don't think that's going to continue. I think the Yates' return, Swindon's home form, we've seen sometimes they put in some dub performances. It's normally followed up with a good one. And uh, and I think given the home advantage as well, it'll be pretty tight. But I reckon Swindon to win by a goal, 1-0 or maybe 2-1.
0: Right, time now for a debut hot take from George, which I'm especially excited about because we went for pizza on Tuesday night and a picture of the pizzas we ordered was tweeted, one of which was a spicy salami pizza. And every person that tried to guess who ordered what guessed that George Ellick had the spicy one because he likes to ruffle feathers. Uh, so, Spicy George, what is your hot take this week?
1: Yeah, I've made myself unpopular with some sets of fans and I have a feeling I'm about to do the same thing. But uh, my hot take is that Bristol City aren't very good. Really? Um, they're currently sixth in the championship. And it's maybe not that they're not very good. It's more that that there's an assumption from not only their fans, but fans in general, that they are a striker away from being a, a team that could possibly challenge for automatic promotion, let alone the playoffs. I think I would be surprised if they finish in the top six where they are at the moment. I'm going to start off with a bit of extra. Hold on.
0: It's a hot take. You'd be astonished if they finished in the top 6 Correct. where they are at the moment. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What did I say? Surprised. i would be astonished. <laughs> <laughs> Knock me down. Yeah, I'm going to start off with some xG stuff and I know that's not for everyone. So please do listen because I'll get to some other um kind of more sim more basic stats, I'll say. And also this stuff's good so you should listen. Their expected goal difference over the course of the season so far is minus 0.32. So on average in every game they are giving up about a third of a goal in terms of supremacy and the quality of chances that they're creating. Now, you might not like XG, but we all know that if you create more good chances in your opposition team, you're more likely to win. That's most comparable to, to Barnsley in the league. That's who they're tallying alongside in terms of expected goal difference. Their 1.12 expected goals per game is also very, very low and has them about 10 goals clear of where they should be based on the course of this this season's games, they've scored 43 goals this season. Their expected goals for has them about about 33. The idea they don't have a striker who gets in good positions will be floated by some of their fans. Andreas Weimann has had the 10th most penalty sh- penalty box shots in the league this season, so they have one already in there who's getting into good positions. If you look at the recent bad results, we talk about Lee Johnson often. We call him streaky Lee. He's a manager who goes on runs of bad uh, of bad results and then runs up with good results. He himself has alluded to this, so he knows that this is you know a, a case in himself. And at the moment, they look to be at the beginning of a good run the bad results were no fluke they lost 3-2 to Charlton that's Charlton's only win in 18, uh, in 18 games in all competitions the XG for that game is 2.38 to 0.82 so they were absolutely battered and lost 3-2 the one that lost to Sheffield Wednesday again 2.21 Sheffield Wednesday 0.18 to, uh, to, to, to Bristol City so in both of these games the final scoreline hasn't reflected the level of dominance their opponents have had
0: what about when they win do they do they ever dominate games? Well,
1: recently they've changed system to a four-one-four-one with Corey Smith sitting in front of the back four, and Patterson's come in as well. That has certainly helped things, and, and they're looking more assured than the games that I've just spoken about. But if you're looking at recent games, they lost the XG battle against Reading midweek in a game they won one-nil, and they somehow kept a clean sheet in the one-nil win against Barnsley. Barnsley had so many chances in that game, uh, especially at 0 nil Looking at individual players, my issue with them is they do not have. They are very one-dimensional in attack. They don't have creators. in in those withdrawn roles if you're looking at chances created in the championship this season the highest placed player is Eliason at 19th who is definitely a live wire he's definitely the one player that they have got where you can say he has the capability to do anything with the ball Josh Brownhill another player that I'm really keen on he's 34th when I wrote this or when I started doing my research earlier this week Brownhill was you know the shining light at the club and now we're finding out that he's likely to leave before the, the the window closes, and that is a massive issue. The next player they have on that list is is uh, Giju in 67th. Their big target man. That is not ideal. And if you're looking at the teams around them, Leeds have three players before you get to Elias in 19th. West Brom have two players before you get to him. Brentford have two players before you get to him. Fulham have two players before you get to him. By the time you get to Giju, basically all their midfielders in there. So they're one dimensional in 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 terms of what they're creating there seems to be an idea that Naki Wells is going to come in and solve all their goal scoring issues. I think he's going to be feeding off absolute scraps and you're comparing him to a team in QPR who, if it wasn't for their defensive frailties, they create so many chances. They've scored the joint most open play goals in in the league this season. He is playing in a side who, despite not being in the top end of the table for points is right up there in terms of chance creation. And they're going to be getting rid of Brownhill, their most consistent creator. I, I think they're, they're, there's big trouble coming up for Bristol City. I think that their current league position doesn't reflect where they should be in the league. And I'm sure many Bristol City fans are going to be listening to this saying, we're in sixth, we deserve to be there. Fine, you're entitled to that opinion, but I don't think you're going to be there come the end of the season.
0: This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with stitch fix now stitch fix is an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well and it is hard work for me i can't speak for george but it's something i find tricky so uh, to get started you go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic And what you do there is you fill in a style quiz. It's a brilliant thing to do because you tell them about your personal style, if you have one, your budget, your size and shape, but also what you're looking for, your clothing needs and wants. And then at that stage, a personal stylist sends you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from a selection of 100 brands. And then you try them all on at home You style them with other items in your wardrobe and you pay for what you love and then you send back the rest. So for the stylist's time, you pay a charge of £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. And yeah, the beautiful thing is, George, you try before you buy and they send it to your own home. So you don't even have to go and pick it up. You were actually there (laughs) when I... did my unboxing
1: yeah I was how Uh, did
0: you enjoy that experience I
1: loved it I loved watching you try on clothes and pout at the mirror Um, (laughs) and I was impressed there was a quarter zip that you basically haven't taken off since you (laughs) unpacked the boxes there was a pair of jeans that I, I don't think you put on again since but all in all it was a positive one and I must admit I have since been on their site so that tells you all you need to know
0: there you go and the good thing is those jeans which were just slightly not the right size, they'll be sent back and you can continue on the same theme. So I'll be receiving a few more items of clothing uh, in future weeks, which I'm looking forward to. Stitch Fix allows you to save time because they do the shopping for you, uh, discover new styles and enjoy top styling tips. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support this podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H f-i-x.co.uk forward slash athletic.
1: Now we get to the news segment of the podcast, not the back page where Ali and I look at some of the stories that have come out of the EFL in the last week or so that maybe won't get the mainstream media coverage that they deserve.
0: The first bit of news is the retirement of Billy Key. Now, over the last few years of us covering the EFL, it's a name that we've discussed a lot uh, as a, a, a pretty iconic goal scorer at League Two level for a very popular and very successful Accrington Stanley team, uh, Key was probably at his absolute best in their League Two title winning season. 25 league goals he got in that season, including uh, the most memorable and 94th minute winner against Luton, which goes down as, as probably Accrington's greatest ever victory in terms of of the emotions and what it meant for the club going forward. 13 goals in League One last season. He has just consistently scored goals uh, for John Coleman and this Accrington side, Uh, but... Off the pitch, uh, Billy has been very open with his battle with mental health issues, Uh, open in a way that has been completely admirable and also had a big impact on the way that football and the EFL have discussed mental health issues, especially now with the EFL's charity partner, The Mind Charity, uh, who are a mental health charity. Key's openness in discussing the problems that he's had, uh, the way that he has attempted to deal with them and uh, essentially reducing the stigma around them uh, have been hugely impactful uh, across the whole community. So Key retires with the full respect and support of, of everyone. He's only 29 years of age. The club have said that, of course, they will support him with whatever he decides to do going forward. But in his statement, he said, the most important thing is my health and my family. My wife, Lee, and two sons. And now I've made the decision. I feel in a better place. So not a sad news story, a good news story. uh, And we wish Billy Key certainly all the best in the future. And then also, George, more on the footballing side of things this week. We had a full midweek slate of fixtures. And for two managers in League Two, it spelled the end of their tenures.
1: Yeah, Scunthorpe have sat their manager, Paul Hurst. Uh, He came in in the summer licking his wounds a bit after a torrid time at Ipswich. Uh, he's a guy who, who done a, who did a fantastic job both at Grimsby Town and at Shrewsbury as well, earned his big chance at Ipswich. And I think it was a bit of a coup for, for Scunthorpe to get him, but they have dispensed of his services after uh, five games with, without a win. It felt peculiar. It was a somewhat of a
0: surprise to us. It
1: did. They were one of the pre-season favourites for promotion. And I think very quickly people understood that the rebuilding job there was, was bigger than it seemed. They rode out the storm and supported their man uh, initially, after some difficult results. Uh, and even in the last five five games, you'd think the performances were still at a level that was acceptable, especially in League Two, where there's only one relegation spot. And realistically, Scunthorpe on 33 points are currently 11 points clear of Stevenage, who occupy 24th. So very unlikely that they were going to be the ones to, to take that. Um, but he's been uh, let go. Rumours abound, mainly started by hopeful Scunthorpe fans, that Nigel Adkins could be in place for a return to the club where he first cut his managerial teeth. He was the physio there uh, before he was appointed in 2006. He twice led them to promotions to the championship as the Scunthorpe fans chanted, who needs Mourinho, we've got our physio, because (laughs) he was promoted from being a physio at the club, which is a pretty rare thing to do. I mean, I'd love to see that personally. He probably could
0: well get a job at a higher level than League Two. But for a man who once said that the biggest room in your house is the room for improvement. Uh, he would move into something of a mansion at Scunthorpe. Eight managers have left the club in the last seven years. So, you know, if, if that's their strategy, considering their descent from League One promotion contenders to now League Two bottom half side, I would suggest that they need to get someone in and actually stick with him at some point.
1: Yeah, and another another team that needs to get someone in now is, is Cambridge United, who've sacked Colin Calderwood uh, after two back-to-back 4-0 defeats. One at home to to Stevenage, who, as I mentioned, the bottom of the league and the other one at home to Salford. I think despite him him and his side showing some signs of of some decent football and like a decent side early in the season, when you're losing two games back to back 4-0 at home against two sides who aren't really any great shakes in the league, uh, your days are probably numbered.
0: Yeah, Cambridge looking for a new manager as well. Next is the In Focus segment. Uh, George, your first go at this last week. I took a look at Swansea and the way that they've approached their relegation from the Premier League. It's another club in focus this week, but a slightly different way of of looking at things or slightly different reasons why.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of a a focus on off the field issues here. Um, And we're going to be talking about Macclesfield Town, who uh, are a club in in turmoil and in crisis. Uh, if you haven't read uh, the piece from Matt Slater on The Athletic that came out this week, fears grow for stricken Maxfield with the price set at 1.2 million by a beta based owner and Les Seely's son, the only serious bidder. I would maybe pause the podcast now and go and have a read of it first, just so you can understand the gravity of the situation. Um, as Matt says in, in the piece, just to sum up kind of the, the background to what's going on. A hearing to wind up the club over unpaid tax and wages was adjourned for the tenth time a fortnight ago when a judge agreed to give the iraqi born businessman now based in Ibiza, until march the twenty fifth to either settle his debts or sell the club. This is an issue that's been rumbling on now for i mean years um the Amar al Qadi is the Macfield owner he came to the club about fifteen years ago and despite initially being uh, welcomed due to the the cash injections it's been pretty clear to see for the last 10 or so years that he either has no means or no interest in funding the club anymore this has led to the aforementioned unpaid tax bills and players the playing staff and the non-playing staff not being paid their wages on time it is phenomenal or, or at all it's phenomenal what they are doing on the pitch that's the one thing to point out initially and credit to the fans and credit to the players they they are on 34 points from 19 games, which given the issues they've got at the club is, is quite something. Similarly, their promotion out of the National League was was bizarre. And as as Matt mentions in the piece, it came despite them having one of the lower budgets in the league. And if anything, it's negatively impacted the club because the costs of running an EFL club are so much higher than running a National League club. There are, of course, similarities to the issues at Burn uh, sorry that we saw at Berry before Berry went out of business. Steve Dale was was the owner there, and we're seeing very similar words and statements whatever we do here from Amar Alcardi, we know that there is a buyer in Joe Seeley the, the son of Les Seeley uh, we've known that for a few months now um, but there seem to be unforeseen costs and unforeseen debts constantly coming out and Amar Alcardi is refusing to make clear the secrets of Maxfield foo- Town Football Club he is not willing to show what level of debt anyone who takes on the club will therefore owe
0: yeah that seems to be at this stage the main sticking point, that it's it's clear that the potential buyers of the club understand that they're not going to be taking over a club in a good state financially with debts, uh, certainly reported debts to former managers, Sol Campbell uh, and John Askey as well. But it's secret debts, as you've said, that have not been revealed by the current owner. You can completely understand why a potential owner is not going to blindly buy a club without knowing the full extent of the picture and what's difficult to understand is why it's not compulsory and and this is where I don't know if it's an understanding of the of the laws of the land or an understanding of business laws or an understanding of the of the EFL's rules and laws surrounding ownership of clubs but what's very clear is that it's not the sort of thing that we just say wouldn't it be great if uh, if this could get done it's absolutely crucial that it gets done and that the current owner is fully transparent with the books so that a prospective owner can come in because it's not a case of all oh, a month or two without wages being paid on time. This looks like a worrying situation. It's a consistent year-long uh, uh, demonstration that Amar Al-Khadi cannot fund this football club. And if there isn't a buyer found, then they are going to suffer the same fate as Berry.
1: Yeah, and, and you look at Bury as a, as a club now who you have thousands of fans who've lost their football club. You have thousands or not thousands, we I mean have hundreds of people who've lost their employment or what they do day to day. It's so important that we use any kind of influence we possibly have to make sure people understand the gravity of this situation and how close we are to having a similar conclusion. They've been docked six points already after failing to pay their players who then went on strike, so a game against crew was postponed. They couldn't field it. Four points were also suspended, but they're likely to be docked that now as well because they couldn't play their game against Plymouth Argyle because the EFL made a call due to the not the stadium not receiving its safety certificate. You have rumours yesterday of players at the club asking the EFL if they're able to terminate their contracts so they can go and play for other clubs and be paid. You talk about assets for potential buyers. I mean, in Infirka Kelleher and Theo Vassel they have two 23-year-old centre-backs who any team in League Two would want. They should be assets. Emmanuel Os- osadebi as well, a 23-year-old midfielder who Clubs in League Two would be willing to buy and pay these guys if they're allowed to walk away because al Al-Kadi, Alcardi's refusal to do the right thing for the club. Well, they'll they walk away because of a lack of job security. Absolutely, but then, it, but that could be provided by the people in, in you know, with wielding the power, doing whatever they possibly can in order to help this football club and help the people that care about it. it it's so important that this doesn't isn't allowed to rumble on in the same way because it'll only have the same conclusion. And uh, so we just keep everything crossed that we'll be talking soon about Macclesfield Town and the great stuff they're doing on the pitch. Their new manager, Mark Kennedy, is, is the third manager at the club so far this season, given the instability. And, they, and he's made a very, very good start. So, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know what's going on, I recommend you, you do read Matt Slater's piece because it really shows the gravity of the situation. And, uh, and hopefully soon there'll be some light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Yeah, any pressure that we can apply, uh, essentially, Amar al to reveal the the books to try and facilitate a sale of the club uh, which he has proven that he's not able to sufficiently run uh, that is what we're looking for
1: Last week, it was the turn of Sunderland fans as we delved into the mindset and the psyche of how they're feeling about their season so far. And a coincidence that this week we'll be talking about the the fans of the club that they're playing over the weekend. So we've asked a few questions of the resurgent Pompey, how they're feeling about their season.
0: Yeah, spot on. I spoke about the, the fixture at the top of the show this weekend. I talked about how just in terms of pure playing uh, style and, and current results and position in the table. There's a lot of similarities. And the way the season has played out, there's also been a fair amount of similarities. The difference is when Pompey were in a, had started the season poorly and the fans were calling for the head of Kenny Jacket, they opted to stick with Jacket, much to the dismay of many of those fans, whereas Sunderland did make that change. So uh, similarities, but not entirely Uh, the same and Pompey look in mid-October were 16th in the league having been among the favourites to win promotion Uh, they had 13 points from their first 11 games really poor return Uh, and they they were they weren't looking the team that we see now. At that time, as you can imagine on social media, a lot of the fans calling for Kenny Jackett to leave to get in a proper manager, as one fan said. He was referring to Daniel Stendel after he left Barnsley, but they did stick with him. The reasons were the football's not good enough anymore. He's persisting with this turgid 4-2-3-1 with too much of a focus on crossing. Uh, and Pompey are one our two one-dimensional, rather, jacket needs to go. So this went really all the way through until the turn of the year, all the way through till till this month, till January. But since the turn of the year, six wins in a row in all competitions for Portsmouth, just two defeats in their last 21 games in all comps and 26 points from their last 12 in the league. So we wanted to to really take the temperature is a phrase that I use a lot. We wanted to ask Pompey fans their thought on uh, jacket out, which to be fair probably should have been jacket off if they had any sense of humor, but uh, and and the turnaround really.
1: You're mugging uh, off their sense of humor before you even read <laughs> out their tweet.
0: Look, Will said, uh, "It's all of a sudden looking very good and Jacket deserves credit for turning it round." but when you've spent the most in the league, we could only be having the run we were expected to have. Donald says, probably an argument to be made that not much has changed, which is interesting. He said, we've been top of the XG table the whole season and were perhaps never as bad as it sometimes felt. Early season frustration had much to do with perceived negativity and willingness to sit back and defend leads. You can see here, as we've seen at, at a different level with Tony Pulis, there is a bit of a sticking point with style of play, which is accepted to an extent when the team is performing well, but when results don't come, that's when it can really ramp up uh, this this negativity about style of play. Uh, Sam also said, the XG stats do show Jacket's methods are very effective. There have been arguments that the football is boring at times, but in the last month, I've been extremely entertained. Our last two games in particular have seen incisive forward passing. It is. They've not all turned, don't get me wrong. Peter says, I still don't like Jacket. Watching his football is extremely boring and frustrating, but I can't deny he's turned it around. But I think more by luck than judgment. So the jury's still out for some.
1: I mean, I I love that this part shows us that football fans like winning games of football Mm. and are stubborn. Who knew
0: there you go that is to, crazy. to be fair. I think Niles, Niles' point still remains, which is we're still only sixth actually, seventh as we record after yeah. the, the midweek fixtures. A position that no Pompey fan would have taken at the start of the season. So, a bit like Sunderland last week, you know, a recognition of the turnaround, some credit being given for the turnaround, but judgment at the end of the yeah. campaign. I
1: mean, what, what I would say is if, if they'd replaced Jacket with someone and Mr. X had come in and he'd performed. You know the the points per game and the win ratio that, that Kenny Jackett has since that time, he'd probably have the keys to to to, to Pompey. I reckon there so. Go. Um, good, well, good for Kenny Jackett to turn it around, and good to see that some Pompey fans are, are happy with what's going on at Fratton Park.
0: Yeah, well, a good result this weekend against Sunderland will go some way to smoothing things over even further.
1: And now to the final part, and it's EFL Rewind. So excited. I kicked off last week with the story of Ramon Diaz, (laughs) the former teammate of Diego Maradona, the former River Plate manager, taking over at Oxford United back in 2004 with his entourage. So if you want to listen to that, make sure you listen to episode one. I have no idea what Ali's got planned, so any oohs and ahs that I make in the next kind of eight minutes or so will be totally real. Uh, Ali, over to you.
0: Yet sadly, I don't have any Argentinian names to pronounce as elaborately as you did with Ramón Díaz last week, but I did very much enjoy that story. I love how you still got
1: a pronunciation in there just anyway, just to, <laughs> just to show off your linguistic talents,
0: George, I did enjoy your story and I, I felt pressured to produce. So let's see how we go. I, I want to take you back to the year 2000. Uh, Not much has changed, but they live underwater. That's not quite (laughs) right, is it? Look, long before Frank Lampard used his connections at Chelsea to get some tidy loanees for Derby, his uncle, Harry Redknapp, was helping out his former club, Bournemouth, where he'd played and managed for an extended period of time by sending them young talent on loan as manager of West Ham. Firstly, it was Rio Ferdinand, and then four years later, a youngster called Jermaine Defoe. In the 99-2000 season when Defoe was 16-17, he was part of the exceptional West Ham academy team that won the under-19 Premier Academy League. He scored 2 goals in the final against Arsenal, making a name for himself as a young goal-getter. In fact, at the start of the 00-01 season, he had made his debut for West Ham a League Cup game against Walsall in which he came on in the 77th minute and scored the winner in the 84th minute. So one sub-appearance for West Ham, one goal. But a few weeks later, with the likes of Paolo Di Canio, Freddy Canute, Davos Suka and others blocking his pathway at West Ham, Redknapp sent him to his old mates at Bournemouth in the second division, which is now League One, English football's third tier on loan just after his 18th birthday you can picture Jermaine Defoe now much later on in his career and you can imagine quite clearly that he was very small very skinny and was wearing a very baggy red and black shirt and three months on from joining Bournemouth on loan Jermaine Defoe has just played only his 10th senior league game in his career he has scored in every single one of those games, netting 12 goals in his first 10 league games ever at the age of 18. And not only that, this was a post-war record. He absolutely set the world alight. And what I loved researching this, watching the goals back. In that run, he scored two headers, five with his right foot, Five with his left foot. Have you seen all the goals? I've seen all the goals and I will be tweeting the video. I'm interested about this. On NTT20Pod. I know why. We'll get to that. Look, we've all recognised what Defoe has done so well throughout his career. 163 Premier League goals. I think we can picture his trademark sort of finishes. And we had a couple of these during this run at just 18 years of age. Number five of 12 was against Wickham, cutting in from the left, smashing it into the top corner from the edge of the box. So powerful, his shot, which for a guy his size just never quite made sense, but was incredibly effective. Number four against Northampton, number 11 against Wrexham. These were both one-on-ones, hard and low finishes into the bottom corner. But his first two goals are headers. His first ever league goal in his first game is at Stoke on a windy Saturday. <laughs> and he climbs high and heads home across from about 12 yards. And you think, I've not seen that really since. So two of the goals are headers, the best ones, though, George. And again, I will be sharing the video. So stay tuned to NTT20pod on Twitter. The two best goals are both lobs. One of them running onto a ball over the top. Uh, lobbing the keeper on the bounce and potentially the best of the lot, the best of this record-breaking run of 12 goals in 10 consecutive games. Well, I wanted to ask you, George, <laughs> what you were up to on Boxing Day in the year 2000. 10-year-old George Ellis. Yeah,
1: I was I was very, very cold wishing I'd be playing my, with my new PlayStation <laughs> in uh, in the stands at the Manor Grounds uh, watching Oxford getting beaten 2-1 by Bournemouth. And... Ever since then, I mean, me and my dad and my brother have have often spoken about this goal, about this Jermaine Defoe goal. I mean, he scored twice in in a 2-1 win for Bournemouth. And we remember just this kid picking up the ball, beating, I think, Three or four players and then chipping the keeper and everyone's turning around looking at themselves looking at each other thinking what the hell have we just seen and so you just telling me then that i can actually see it again i thought it was one of those goals that was con you know confined to history because there was no no footage so i'm looking forward to seeing
0: it it'd be interesting to, to know how it stacks up to your memory because of course we all have those memories as as kids and you know depending on what's happened since sometimes they do get exaggerated but of all the hundred goals Oxford conceded in the league that season, coming rock bottom uh, of the second division, it probably was the best. So good, in fact. Have you watched all hundred of those as well? <laughs> I haven't seen all of them. <laughs> Look, uh, 442 wrote a piece about this famous loan spell. Uh, Hugh Davis, who's also a friend of the pod, was writing it. There are some great quotes in there. Uh, Sean O'Driscoll, who's the manager at the time, in his first season as a manager... He said his goal at Oxford left us apologising to the opposition bench. He was running away from goal. You thought he was just going to recycle the ball, but he swivelled and chipped the keeper from a tight angle. It's probably not even the best story from the run because in the next game, which is the eighth of the 10-game run, uh, Richard Hughes picks up the story here. Teammate, obviously, uh, the the Scottish-Italian legend that is Richard Hughes. He said we were getting beat 2-1 by Luton. Jermaine, eight games into his run, we got a penalty in the 83rd minute. I was on penalties, and the Luton goalkeeper, the late Mark Overdale, was a former teammate, so I knew what he would do. Jermaine tried to grab the ball off me, saying, please, please, I want that record. I said, I couldn't care less about your record. We're 2-1 down with seven minutes to go. He wasn't happy, but I pulled rank and scored, and then Jermaine scored the winner in the last minute. Amazing. Amazing. it just couldn't have gone any better so it's it's obviously getting loads of headlines the club are selling t-shirts saying who let defoe out to try and help fund their new stadium which they're fundraising for at the time but you know on a footballing level it wasn't just about this before defoe arrived at bournemouth they were 15 games into the league season and they only had 13 points so they were right down the bottom of the table after he joins They have 31 games remaining. They get 60 points, just under two points per game. And what this means is they fly up the table. After the 12 in 10 that he scores, he gets 6 in 19 afterwards. So slightly less prolific, but still decent. The team keep rolling and they win 10 games in the last 13 to get to the cusp of the playoffs. Further context for you. Eddie Howe is captain and playing centre-back for them. Uh, Defoe's strike partner... His main sort of target man foil is Steve Fletcher. He's a legend at the club. Still at the club, isn't he? He is still <laughs> at the club. But a- another EFL record holder, James Hayter, he of the fastest ever hat-trick, he is, he- he's there as well, putting pressure on Defoe. Uh, to end the story, I think it- it's great when you research these things because extra stuff pops up. In the last game of the season, Bournemouth uh, went to Reading away from home. Now, Wigan were two points ahead of Bournemouth in the last playoff spot. And they drew nil-nil on final day. So Bournemouth, had they beaten Reading, would have made the playoffs with this amazing late run. Now, from a Reading perspective, their hosts, they'd already qualified for the playoffs. They weren't getting automatic. They knew they were coming third. So they knew that their playoff semifinal would be against either Wigan or Bournemouth, who they hosted. Bournemouth in such good form that reading are like we don't want to play them in the playoffs play their strongest team packed medjeski stadium the ball is delivered to john medjeski on the pitch from helicopters and there's this crazy crazy atmosphere at the madstad and at halftime bournemouth are 3-1 up defoe has scored a one on one he has bournemouth cruising into the playoffs surely with the ascendancy ahead of a semi-final against reading but 71st minute the reading manager a young Alan Pardew brings on Darren Kasky specifically to take a free kick that they've just won outside the box. Kasky, with his first touch, curls it into the top corner. Bournemouth get nervy. Reading equalised with two minutes to go. Nicky Forster, another EFL goal-scoring legend. And in the final seconds, Bournemouth player Stephen Purchase shoots, is heading into the top corner. And Graham Murty who's quite a small fullback jumps higher than Pele to head the ball off the line, up and over. Bournemouth do not make the playoffs. It's worth the effort for Pards and Reading because they beat Wigan 2-1 on aggregate in the playoffs and then lose to Walsall after extra time in the final. So there's all sorts of interesting things about this Defoe story, not just his goal-scoring run. I love that because of this and a couple of other battles these two teams had in 2004... Of, there was a football fan census and Bournemouth fans elected Reading as their most hated club. Really? Which you wouldn't really well, think. I was
1: going to say the most unbelievable thing about this story so far is that the Medeski Stadium was full.
0: Very good, very good. That feels like <laughs> one for the hot take, mate. Um, <laughs> so there you go. The the last thing I'll say because it's been such a pleasure revisiting uh, Jermaine Defoe's stint at Bournemouth which went down in EFL lone folklore is that the top scorer in The first division, the championship, was Louis Saha for Fulham. The top scorer in the second division was Neil Harris for Millwall with 27. And the top scorer in the third division was Bobby Zamora. So three excellent goalscorers winning the Golden Boot in the three divisions that season. We hope you're enjoying the EFL Rewind section as much as we are enjoying researching and storytelling. If you would like to suggest a topic a memory that you think would make for great listening on this pod please do get in touch with us at ntt20pod
1: so guys that is it for the second episode of the going up going down podcast brought to you by the athletic all of our pods are completely free and ad free versions are available to subscribers me and ali can only can't recommend enough that you subscribe to the athletic for all of the best football content out there all completely ad free You can get a 40% discount now by using the promo code EFLPOD. We look forward to coming back next week for another episode. And if you have any suggestions whatsoever, please do get in touch over Twitter.